We're going to be we're going to be looking at this uh, the miracle that uh, Scott's just read to us, and I really just want to take a few minutes as we start just to check that we've got the miracle in our head and just to do a few reflections on it, because um, it strikes me that uh, I, I think all the miracles have unique elements. So I've said a lot during it. Uh, you know, this is an odd miracle because either water into wine, what's the point? Or the walking on water kind of n- doesn't really seem to help anyone, so why is he even bothering? You know, th- those kind of things. So they all have unique elements. But this has to be right up there as one of the oddest miracles that you read because you have this weird thing where he kind of puts mud on the guy's eyes, which he's made out of his own spit, um, uh, and, and then tells him to go and wash it off. And that's how he gives the man his sight back. Uh, and you look at that and you think, well, why? <laughs> like, given that you, see, you hear Jesus healing people's sight just by words, so he can, he can do it just by talking. He doesn't need mud and spit and a pool. So why on earth does he go through that kind of rigmarole? But it, it strikes me that, as with, as with all the miracles, it, it, it slightly challenges us just to rethink how we approach and think about miracles. Because what, what we tend to do when we're deciding what we think about miracles or whether we think something was a miracle or not is we tend to think, well, is that how I would do the miracle? You know, like, I wouldn't do it like that. And if I wouldn't do it like that, we assume that God, therefore, wouldn't do it like that. So we, it's easy to think when someone's saying, oh, well, God did this thing in my life. And you can think about, well, I don't really see why God would do that thing. Or if he was going to do it, I don't think he'd do it in that way. So we either think, oh, well, miracles are always done through people, or we think miracles are never done through people. Or, or we think miracles are always accompanied by something spectacular. Or we think miracles would just be more matter-of-fact, because why would God bother putting on a rigmarole around it if he can just do it? You know, you have your own personal views, and then you are, you're only willing to believe miracles that fit into your particular view of how you think a miracle should work. But if there's one thing you learn from looking through the account of Jesus' life, is that Miracles come in all shapes and sizes, all different types, all different ways. Uh, there is no necessary, this is the way miracles happen. You know, who would have predicted this miracle, that this would be a thing Jesus would do, given all the rest he's done? And of course, what, what this leads to, again and again, in the Gospels, and you see it massively in this story. So just to remind yourself of the story, Jesus meets this man, he's blind from birth. Uh, and Jesus uh, creates this mud, puts it on his eyes, sends the guy off to go wash. He washes, he gets his sight back. But then what you have is you have all this debate with the Pharisees, where the Pharisees are like, well, was this the man? Did he actually get to see? If he did, how come it happened? Uh, and what you see is because we have a certain view of how miracles should or shouldn't happen, the Pharisees are unwilling ever to accept Jesus' miracles. They just won't accept them because they don't fit into their theology, how they understand the world to work, their worldview. They have a certain worldview and they see Jesus doing certain things. And because what Jesus does doesn't fit, they just discount it over and over again. And I just want to point out that all of us can do that to an extent with our own worldview. So you will have a worldview, a way of understanding the world, a way of maybe viewing yourself. Let me give you an example. Maybe you think of yourself as a good communicator. That, that would, you know, if someone was to say, like, what are you like? You'd be like, I, I think I'm a good communicator. Now, because you see the world in that way, so I'm a good communicator, this is what tends to happen. Every time someone fails to understand you, you think that that's their problem. (laughs) 
you think I'm a good communicator so they don't understand me because they're an idiot or because they can't connect with me or because they're from a different generation. We make excuses because the problem can't be with me because I understand the world to work a certain way. I'm a good communicator. And then what we do is we fit reality around that way of seeing the world. You, you could do it in a lot of things. If you think I'm a good person, that is your way of understanding the world. I'm a good person. That every time you're not a good person, then that becomes a reflection of something else. Because it can't be you. The problem can't be with you because you're a good person. So it is a reflection of societal pressures or mental health issues or stress or environment or, or whatever. You see, because you have a certain way of understanding the world and you have to make reality fit in with it. That's what the Pharisees do over and over again with Jesus. They have this way of understanding the world and Jesus doesn't fit it, so they have to find reasons to discount what he is, to discount the things that he does. So there's one warning from all these miracles you see. It's, we've got to be careful that we're actually willing to look at what is actually going on. To actually consider what if what needs to change is not reality around me, but the way I understand the world. So, so you have this, this issue. So you've got the miracle. And then you've got the Pharisees who refuse to believe. And then you have what happens quite a lot. You have this discussion then about, well, who is Jesus? So if the, if the story goes from the beginning of the story, the first sort of seven or eight verses, the miracle, and then you've got the Pharisees not believing, and this discussion about, well, who does this mean Jesus is? And so the Pharisees and the man and the man's parents uh, and the crowd are all having their, their kind of bit of it. What does this, who does this mean Jesus is? And, and I've said throughout this series, if there's one thing at the end of looking through a series of Jesus' miracles I want you to go away and wrestle with, it's, it's the question of who does this mean Jesus is? Because that's kind of the point of the Gospels. The point of these stories about Jesus' life is to make us look at what Jesus is and say, if Jesus did these things, then who does that mean he is? And here's my big question. If Jesus is the kind of person we've seen in these miracles, the kind of person who gives blind people sight, who heals people who are sick, who brings wine and celebration, who can walk on water and stand above all of the elements of our world, if that is who Jesus is, then the obvious question is, wouldn't you want to know him? Now, wouldn't you want to know a person like that? If you had the opportunity to know someone who could do those things, who could heal sickness, who could make blind people see, who stood, who wasn't controlled by nature, but instead controlled nature, wouldn't you want to know that person? See, that's the invitation of Christianity. The invitation of Christianity is come to know this person that you read about in this book. Come to know Jesus. And then, and then what we see, just if we would kind of sum up what we've seen in the, the story so far, is we see that the thing that's often overlooked in this by people who are obsessed with, well, what does this mean about my theology? What does this mean about my worldview? The thing that's often missed is the miracle itself. So at one point, the blind man himself has to say, I don't know all that stuff, but what I do know is I was once blind and I can now see. And they've completely missed that point. They've completely missed the wonder of what Jesus has done. So let's not go away from a series looking at miracles and, and fail to wonder and be amazed and worship Jesus for who he is. Because like, that's the risk, isn't it? That, that he does this thing and we get so like, hung up on what it means that we forget to just 
appreciate, worship, love Jesus for what he's done there. We miss the miracle itself. And so that's kind of what's gone on in the story. I just want to do a quick recap of that, because actually I'm not really going to talk about any of that. What I want to talk about is the next six verses. So if you've got the Bible open, it'll really help you. Um, Chapter 9, verse 35 down to 41. That's where we're going to be. Because this is where Jesus is going to pull out what, what I think he thinks this miracle is all about. So if you've got the account in your head, what's happened, then let's see what Jesus uh, says. So Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. So this is the Pharisees have thrown the man who's been healed out of uh, the temple. Um, And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world, so the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him um, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. A couple couple of my children are learning to play the piano at the moment. I, I like to think that they've inherited it from me and my prestigious uh, piano ability, but after 10 years of piano lessons, I only really progressed as far as the Rugrats theme tune. Um, uh, and so it's probably not for me, but, but Sarah and other members of my family can play, so I'm kind of hoping that some of that has been inherited by my children. But, but as you start to learn the, the piano, then probably begin something like this. You, you see this kind of big box in, in the middle of the not in the middle, on the, in the corner of your room, with black and white keys on it at some point. And you notice it. And then what happens quite early on in your life as a child is you realise that if you put your hands on those keys, they make a noise. And at that point begins the great game of who can make the loudest noise out of putting my hands on these keys. And so begins those tortuous years where the piano is primarily uh, uh, just a thing to where you can mash noise out of it as loud as you can. And that's about the only use you, you get from it. But, but then, as kind of things progress, then if you want to actually learn how to play, at some point, probably... Somebody sits down and explains to you how it works. So, you know, they say, look, this key here, this, this white one here, that's a C, and the black one next to it's a C sharp, and all the, all the keys actually have different names, uh, and you can, you can play them like this. Some people can just, like, figure that out. They can just sit down and go, oh, look, I can do it. But most people, someone sits down and explains that to them at some point. Uh, and then maybe they go, oh, and actually, you can write up how to play the piano by, by these symbols on a page. And then you can learn to read those symbols so that you can actually play tunes on it. And so you, you kind of go and you've, you've got, right, so I now know what the keys are and I kind of know what they work and I've got it, I know, understand how it's written. And so you do all that and then finally maybe you understand, okay, so if I play these keys in a particular order, I can make a tune. I can make something that actually sounds pleasant rather than just mashing keys as loudly as I can. Uh, and, so, uh, and so you get to that point. Now imagine if with my two children, I, I'd managed to get to that point. You know, I'd got them to understand you have these keys, they work like this. If you play them in certain orders, you can make a melody. This is how you read them. And if they then, they then turned to me, sort of closed the piano lid and said, great, I can, I can now play the piano. 
and they never look at it again. I think I'd feel that they'd somewhat missed the point. Because all they'd actually understood was how to play the piano. They couldn't actually play the piano. So they still couldn't actually play any tunes. They'd never learnt to play the piano. What they understood was, was how to play the piano. And so this was actually just the beginning of a journey. If they are actually going to become people who play the piano, this is not the end of the journey. Now understanding, I understand how keys work, and I understand how to read on a piece of paper. That's the beginning of the journey. The end of the journey is when you've managed to master the piano and you can play tunes. Now, now the reason I wanted to, to point that out is because I think it's, it's a problem we often have with with miracles, and actually with accounts in the Bible quite a bit. And that is that we stop at the wrong place. So, so we think that the, the, the beginning of the story is the whole story. We think that's it. So we think, the mir- we think that this story is a story about a miracle. It's a story about a blind person who gets his sight back. I'm pretty sure that's what the heading in the NIV says. That's the story, isn't it? This is the story of a miracle, of a man who was blind, who then gets his sight back. That's the story. But I just want to point out, that's not the story for this man. Because if that was the story, that's happened by verse 7. By verse 7, that has happened. The man was blind, he can see again. If that's the story that, that John wanted us to understand, he could have stopped there. The blind man was blind, now he sees again. Great, story over. But that's not story over. That's the beginning of the story. The miracle is the start of the story. Because there's another 34 verses that are actually what the story's about. And just as learning about how a piano works is only the beginning of the journey to actually playing the piano, I want to suggest that experiencing and seeing Jesus' miracles or his miraculous power, even in your own life, that's only the beginning of the journey that anyone is actually on. And that's definitely true for this man. Because the journey that Jesus is actually interested in telling is this man's journey from not knowing who Jesus was to seeing him and knowing him and worshipping him. That's actually the story. Because the, the story begins with a man who doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know anything about him. And it ends with a man who knows and recognises Jesus, the Son of Man, and who worships him. That's the journey this man's on. That's the journey that Jesus cares about. And actually, the miracle of the man receiving sight is all meant to help us understand that journey, that story. And so you can see how how the story plays out. You can see that at the beginning, if you look down at verse 11, he actually knows so little about Jesus that all he can say is, the man they call Jesus. Do you see that? It's like, it's not even... It's not even like he knows him. So if I said, oh, who did that? And I, and I said, oh, it was someone called Mary. That means I don't know who Mary is. It just means that I've been told that it was someone called Mary. And that's, that's what he's saying here, the man they call Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. He might know some stuff about him, but he actually doesn't know very much about him because they go on to question him. Uh, and in verse kind of 12, he doesn't know where he is. In verse 25, they ask him kind of, who is he? And kind of, and he says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I know that you obviously think he is, but I don't know. And then as the story progresses, he sort of bit by bit pieces together a growing understanding of who Jesus is. So verse 17, he describes Jesus as a prophet. By verse 33, he's happy to say that Jesus is from God. 
And in verse 38, we get the culmination of the story, Jesus as the Son of Man. You see, this is not primarily a story about a man who couldn't see and then could. It's a, ma- it's a, it's a story about a man who didn't know Jesus, who didn't understand who Jesus was. And the end point is actually only reached when this man sees Jesus for who he is and worships him. Just as the end point of learning about a piano is being able to play a tune, so the end point of learning about Jesus is worshipping him. This is a story about knowing Jesus much more than it's a story about curing physical blindness. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute because I just want to, basically all I want to do is reflect on a bit of uh, kind of what that means for us. Um, And I want to begin by thinking about what does it, how does it impact the way we think about miracles? So one of the things I've said throughout this series is, and my guess is within Grace Church, there's lots of people who think quite differently about miracles in our church. And and I'm okay with that because I think there's space for people to believe different things about that, uh, for people to wrestle with that and think through those things. I'm fine with that. But one of the challenges when reading about the miracles Jesus performed is that when we see those miracles, we acknowledge that God has the ability to intervene in supernatural ways in our world. And what makes that difficult is then how do we avoid being frustrated when we don't experience those miracles in our life? That's surely one of the challenges of reading about Jesus' miracles. Because we look at our situations, we look at our lives, and we think, well, I need a miracle. I'm in pain. Where's my healing? I'm broken. Where's my restoration? I'm in a hopeless situation. I see no way out. Where's my rescue? My friend is dying. Where's his resurrection? You see, we look at the miracles and we think, if you can do it and you have done it, then why aren't you doing it now, here in my life? And that frustration makes it much easier for us simply to go, well, what if we just don't believe miracles happen? If I just say, actually, I don't think miracles exist, I don't have to be frustrated about that because I don't think they exist anymore. And so it's then quite easy for us to think, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to discount that miracles could ever happen because that'll make me less frustrated about the fact I don't see them in my life. But I think there's a couple of truths that might just help us with that. The the first truth, uh, and this is not particularly um, sort of, I don't know, particularly insightful, but it's that miracles are by definition unusual events. If most of the time the person who was sick got better, that's not a miracle. That's just what happens most of the time. That's the normal outcome. And so that means that for something to be a miracle, most of the time, that needs to not be the outcome. So most of the time, the miraculous needs to not happen in order for there even to be such a thing as something that is a miracle. And so that means that most of the time, we are unlikely to experience miraculous resolutions to our problems. Or else there wouldn't be miracles. If we experience them most of the time, they would cease to be miraculous. It's the fact that that isn't the normal outcome that makes them a miracle. There's no way for something to be a miracle and to be something that we could expect to be the outcome. 
So that's the first thing we've got to remember about miracles, is that we read about these miracles, and you think, well, why am I not getting them? But most of the time, we can't get them, because that's what makes them a miracle. If, if we got them all the time, if that was just the normal outcome, then they would cease to be miraculous. But the second point that, I, that I've been trying to get our heads around at the start is that the miracle is actually only ever a small part of the story. The story of your life is not defined by the miracles you experience or don't experience. We tend to think that miracles are the things that would change our lives. They're the things that would shape our lives, that would set the direction of our lives. But the story of your life is actually the story of you either coming to know Jesus better or you not coming to know Jesus better. That's the story of your life. That's the purpose of your life. According to the Bible, you were created to know the God who made you. That's who you are. And so the story of your life is, do you come to know him or not? Do you come to recognize Jesus? Do you come to know him? If the journey of life is a journey of coming to see Jesus, to know his goodness, to experience his power, to enjoy his forgiveness then to become the people we were created to be by worshipping him, that's the journey of our life. And of course, if that is the journey of our life, it's worth, it's worth noting it's not an easy journey. It's not a journey we find easy to do. In fact, if we're ever going to complete that journey, we are going to need miraculous intervention. That's what the Bible says. If you're ever going to complete that journey, that journey of coming to know the God who loves you, coming to recognize and see Jesus, experience his forgiveness, you are going to need a miracle. Because you're going to need what the Bible describes and what Jesus is going to describe as our spiritual blindness to be dealt with. And we're going to need our spiritual sight to be restored. And so... That's, that's the journey of life. And so that means that miracles are, are never the be-all and end-all of your life. Because that's not what your life is ultimately about. The big issue of your life is, will you use it to grow in your knowledge of Jesus and to worship him? That's this man's story, much more than the restoration of his sight is. So what I want to do, just I'm only going to spend a few more minutes um, at the end of this week, but what I really want us to do is point out that all spiritual blindness is not the same. Jesus is here going to talk about two types of spiritual blindness. And I just want to pull out the two types of spiritual blindness. I just want to ask you an, an obvious question, which is, um, which, which one are you? Which, which type of spiritual blindness are you? So just for, for the rest of um, this afternoon... Just as we talk about these, I just want you to think about that. Like, which one describes you, where you're at? There's the first kind of blindness that Jesus is going to talk about. is the kind of blindness we see in the, the man who's healed in this story, the man whose sight is restored. Because this is, this is a blindness that I'm going to describe like this. It's, it's the blind person who wants to see so maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's who you are. Maybe you're a blind person who, who wants to see. When he's physically blind, he does what Jesus says because he wants to see. So he allows Jesus to do what he does. He goes and washes in the pool, Jesus tells him to, and his sight is returned. It's a blind man who wants to see. But, but more than that, 
After this point, he continues to explore who Jesus is because he wants to see Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He refuses to be intimidated by the Pharisees, but he keeps on thinking about and wrestling with who is the person who did this to him? Who could he be? What could that mean about who he is? Until at the end of the story, when Jesus seeks him out again, he's finally able to see him for who he is and to worship him. So, so maybe this is where you are today. Like maybe, maybe this is you, right? Today, this afternoon, this is you. you. You're a blind person who wants to see. You find yourself drawn to God, longing to see him, longing to know him. Maybe, maybe just recently you found yourself with that desire, that, that, that longing for something tran- transcendent in your life, that desire to know a God, to know someone who is above you. Maybe you've even started to see something of who Jesus is. You've started to have your eyes opened to who this God is, but you still don't see him clearly. Let me encourage you, if you want to see God, if you want to know Jesus, then Jesus is both able and willing to open your eyes so you can see him. That's surely the message of this miracle, isn't it? If you want to see him, then you can Because just as he could miraculously make this blind man see, he can make you miraculously see him. Know the God who made you. If you're you're someone who doesn't know Jesus today, you're not a Christian, you're thinking about it, you've maybe been thinking about it for ages, or maybe if you're honest, you haven't really been thinking about it, you've just been kind of, it's been there, but you've never really wrestled with it. That I just want to encourage you. Jesus is not hiding from you. He's not trying to avoid being seen by you. The problem is that you are blind. That's what Jesus says. You, you can't see him. You can't see him because as soon as we turned away from God, we've turned, as soon as we turned our back on him, this spiritual blindness came on us. So what do you do? Well, you pray that Jesus will open your eyes. That's again and again what Jesus encourages us to do. Pray that he would open our eyes so that we can see him. But maybe, maybe that's not you today. Maybe you, are, maybe you are someone who is a Christian. But if you're honest, you've just lost sight of him. It, it happens so easily. Our vision gets consumed by other things. We lose sight of Jesus because we become obsessed by looking at other things, at our work or our family or our hobbies or our TV series or whatever it is. Our vision just gets consumed by something else and we completely become blind to who Jesus is. We're no longer like this man, seeing him in his glory and worshipping him because our eyes have been turned. And again, what do we do? We do exactly the same. We pray that Jesus would open our eyes. You see, this is the great news. If you are that category of person, so if you are a blind person who wants to see, there is hope for you. That's the good news. There's hope for you because Jesus came to earth specifically to open your eyes so that you can see him. But there is a second kind of blindness. And actually, this is the, the kind of blindness that Jesus talks about in that second section I just read. And it's much more problematic This is the blindness of the Pharisees. 
At every point in this story, they're blind to who Jesus is. They refuse to even consider he could be from God. They just discount everything he does. They are blind. They can't see Jesus for who he is. But here is their problem. Their problem is not only are they blind, but they also think they can see. Just imagine that situation for a minute. That's a much more serious problem. Because a blind person who knows they're blind, well, they can look to be healed. But a blind person who thinks they can see, they're not going to look to be healed because they can already see. A blind person who knows they're blind, they can look for safeguards. They can find people to lead them and guide them. They can be careful in different situations because they know they're blind. But a blind person who thinks they can see, that's a much more difficult problem. They're not going to look for safeguards. They're not going to protect themselves. You see, they're unaware of their blindness, so they're not doing anything about it. This miracle was all about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And Jesus has deliberately flipped the tables in this story. The man who was physically blind... Actually, by the end, he has spiritual sight. He can see who Jesus is. But the Pharisees, who could physically see, remain spiritually blind. They have no idea who Jesus is. It's a reversal. And then in verse 41, he diagnoses how severe their problem is. That problem that they think they can see. There's naturally only two types of people in the world. Blind people who know they're blind and blind people who think they can see. That's it. And if they're the, first two, if they're the only two options, then the first one is by a long way preferable. If you're going to be blind, it's at least better to know that you are. You see, there's good news for the first type. The, the good news is that Jesus came to open blind eyes so that we are able to see the God our hearts are longing to know. But there's no hope for the second group because as long as they claim they can see, they'll not come to Jesus, they'll not have their eyes opened. So the question is, which I asked about five minutes ago, so you may have forgotten because five minutes is a long time, what kind of person are you? Are you a blind person who knows they're blind? Are you a blind person you can see? Because the differences are stark and you can see them played out in this passage. You can see the difference it makes. If you know you're blind, you'll be dependent on Jesus. Are you dependent on Jesus? Is that, is that who you are? Are you asking him to give you sight? Are you looking to him to lead you? That's what you'll do if you know you're blind. But if you think you can see, you will be self-dependent. What do I need someone else for? I can see fine. I don't need someone to lead me. I can live my own life. We think we can see. We reject Jesus' leading and instead go our own way and do our own thing. The differences continue. If you know you're blind, you'll be thankful for what Jesus has done. Like the man, I was blind, but now I see. But if you think you can see, you'll be dismissive of Jesus, like the Pharisees. You'll overlook what he's done. You'll discount it. You'll claim it's untrue. You'll ridicule and downplay everything Jesus does. If you know you're blind, you will not consider yourself better than other people. We're all blind people. 
But if you think you can see, you will look down on other people. They are the sinners. They are the blind. But we are righteous. We are those who can see. See, this is the Pharisees' problem all, all throughout the, the, the time Jesus on earth, isn't it? That because they think they can see and everyone else is blind, they consider themselves to be better than everyone else. I don't know, which one are you? Are you the blind person who knows they're blind? Or are you the blind person who thinks they can see and therefore considers yourself better than everyone around you? If you know you're blind, you will worship the one who gave you sight. But if you think you can see, you will worship yourself. You'll be intoxicated by your own greatness, by your own intelligence, by how you see things so clearly when everyone else is so blind. Who are you? Are you a blind person who thinks they can see or are you a blind person who knows they're blind? I, I just, I, I want to just pause for a minute and I don't want to do a massive thing on this because I don't want to get on a hobby horse, but uh, this, this sums up our culture, doesn't it? As a culture, we think we can see. We just think we see everything so clearly. But it amazes me because for all that we see, we still see, we keep, seem to just keep walking into danger. We think we understand ourselves so well now as our society. We've great, gained such great insight into ourselves. We understand what makes us tick, the way that we respond to different situations. We understand our psyche and our mentality. We understand these things so well, and yet mental health issues just continue to plague us in seemingly ever-growing numbers. We think we see so well. But then why do we keep walking into danger? We think we finally see through the promises of Christianity. We can see beyond that. Christianity was primitive. It was backward. It was just pie in the sky, wishful thinking. We see through all that nonsense now. We see so much more clearly. And yet we just walk through it into hopelessness. If we see so clearly, then why does it end up so badly for us? We've seen through traditional views of morality. They were just about social pressures and control and repression. We've seen beyond those things. And what have we walked into? Social disintegration. It's just what happens. As a society, we think we're, we're just like the people in this story. We think we see so clearly. And yet, if we're seeing things so clearly, then why do we keep walking into bad places? Why haven't we found a better destination yet? We're a culture obsessed with how clearly we see which begs the question, if we see so clearly, then why haven't we been able to navigate ourselves somewhere better than this yet? You see, it, it's true of our culture, but I, want, I don't want to finish by talking about our culture because that makes us think that it's about those people out there. And actually, it's not primarily about those people out there. It's about us people in here because this is going to shape our church. It's going to have a huge impact on what Grace Church is going to be like. Because if we're a church of people who know that we're blind and entirely reliant on Jesus giving us spiritual sight, then what will we do as a church? We will look to Jesus and we will follow where he leads. We'll, we'll look at it and we'll think, hey, I wouldn't go that way. If it was up to me, I wouldn't do that thing. But I'm blind and so I'm going to trust the guy who can see in this situation. It might not be the way I'd go. It might not be the thing I do, but I'm going to obey where he says to go because he's the one who sees and I'm the one who doesn't. That lies at the heart of Christian obedience. If you don't believe 
that you are blind and that only Jesus can give you spiritual sight, you will never obey him. Because you see fine. You can plot your own course, go your own way. Sometimes that'll line up with Jesus, sometimes it won't. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of people who know we're blind and follow Jesus? Or are we going to be a church of people who think we can see? The classic church full of religious people like the Pharisees who think they see so clearly and so look down on everyone else. Who actually ignore the God that they think they see. Ignore Jesus, go our own way. Don't obey his calls on our lives. And like blind people who think they can see, walk again and again into disaster. This is the question that I've been asking throughout. It's a question I want you to think about as we finish today. It's a question I want you to mull over this week. Uh, what kind of blind person are you going to be? One who knows they're blind and turns to Jesus for guidance, turns to him to have your sight restored, to help you be able to see more clearly every day, every year of your life? Or a blind person who thinks they can see? And so, as Jesus says, walks headlong into judgment and disaster. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing as we finish.